Hello! Hi! Hey guys! Look, the pudgy's in the big chair now! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> it's a comfy chair, man. Huh? Pudgy, wanna ring us in? Uh, well, let's see. Um, we have today Anaya, who's a DM, and we have John, who is a DM. Um, Anaya typically does Aylwood campaign, um, and John typically does uh, Nox Vitalia. So today what we're going to do is we're going to ask a few questions. Um, I have a few written down. Uh, if anybody wants to come into the chat and throw in a few questions for the DMs as well, um, I'll be sure to ask them. Um, I think what we're going to do is, is basically, you know, hop to you guys and, and see what the, our broadcast is currently about today. Basically, that way everybody can get a idea or a perspective from, you know, a DM's point of view. Okay. So, um, first of all, thank you to Anaya's partner, Kayla, for the suggestion on what we're going to title these segments, which were, are probably going to be a Thursdays thing now? Yeah, Thursdays. So... That's where I cast a wish comes from, and this is just DM Q and A, and we decided to start off with what I wish I knew before my first time. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> hey, you might have picked the title. <clears throat> I was the one typing this time, so it's all on me. <laughs> so I, I came up with a few questions. A few are two parters. Uh, some are single questions. Um, uh, how many you got? Uh, <laughs> uh, about 11, maybe? So, uh, I would say probably the first question I I'm going to ask, um, you guys can take turns, it's amongst yourselves, you know, who's <laughs> first. Obviously we're going to roll for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need a d20. <laughs> <coughs> I have my one puzzle pieces right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is... And my grief. There's a D20 right there. The puzzle pieces, really? Yeah. Fine. Oh, I'm rolling the bright green one. 14. 17. Yep. After you. <laughs> <laughs> so... What's the question? So my first question is, what do you feel is the hardest part to being a DM? I would say, I would say trying to prohibit myself from getting too excited about a particular plot line. Okay. I think that over committing to a story arc leads to a lot of DM burnout for me. The thing I've actually found to be the hardest, like, back when I started versus now, is players... <laughs> I was terrible about spoilers because I'd get so excited about what I'd written and the kind of puzzles that there were. And at this point, I've gotten to the point where Pudgy, we live together and you don't even know what the hell I've gotten written at 
this point. I don't even talk to you about it. Not because I don't want to talk, <laughs> well, to, to <laughs> but be, because to be, yeah. to be completely honest, from a player's perspective, um, I like a little bit of surprise because yeah. otherwise it doesn't feel like a, a worthy adventure to me. So if I if I knew the details, I wouldn't want to play. Exactly. And uh, that's what I mean. Like, when I first started out, it's really bad about spoilers. Like, because I get so excited, you know? And it's like, I just want to tell everybody how hard I've been working and what I've done. And then I've, re- I've learned over the years that it's more show, not tell. Like, I'll show you when it's game night. Until then, I'm just going to start teasing you that I got some shit planned for you. So what like, you're saying is... I got some shit planned for y'all. So what you're saying is <laughs> as a... DM or Dungeon Master um, is that one of your tips for other DMs is to keep your details limited to yeah, keep, keep it from them, your players. Keep your players guessing. Okay. The more they have to try and figure out, the more clues, tidbits, hidden little pieces of lore and shit that you randomly put that you just decided that'd be a kind of cool thing to be there and they may never find it, and if they don't, cool. If they do, all the better. The fact is that, for me, it's... I've discovered that my players are far more engaged in trying to figure out how to get things done. When I create a puzzle that makes it so that not ju- it takes more than one of them to get like anything out of it, or to figure it out. Like, uh, say the door with the dragon inscription on it that I'm still not telling you what's up with that door. That's the one okay. that Kalora imprinted on her forehead? The one Kalora imprinted on her forehead and that was later broken by a spear. <laughs> Just enough for Wisp to be able to see through the other side and dimension door everybody there. <laughs> Alright. Um, as DMs, which do you believe brings more value to the game? The storyline or the players? Players. 110%. You can write a storyline any day and change storyline any day, but without players that are invested in the game, the story goes nowhere. (sighs) Kinda, I definitely see where you're coming from. The players matter, obviously. I mean, these are the people who are the main characters in the story that you're... in the epic whatever they're conquering. So, yeah, definitely. But, like... Um, at the same time, it's also a lot of storyline. Because you have to have a story that makes everybody want to play. If you aren't invested in writing a story for your players... Um, for example, the way that we came up with Wisp is absolutely phenomenal as a story. Um... Anaya, the backstory and stuff we've worked on for Kalora, like <laughs> stuff that has not come out in gameplay yet. Some of which I've even forgot by now. Um, yeah, that's the other thing. As a DM, I've given up on remembering everything about my players' characters. Okay. It's important. Yeah. It's nice to be surprised to yourself every now and then with them. Oh yeah, they can do that. I remember when we wrote that shit. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? 
I mean, the storyline is definitely important. Like, between, like, anywhere from Nox, Vitalia, and your way more serious timeline, <coughs> and the, like, impending tone that Nox Vitalia carries to the moderately comedic foodies in space, where I'm like, here, you can slap some stuff around, or you can go find food in almost every episode. <laughs> Fair. Um, or even down to the comedic stories like The School of Hard Knock Dogs. Yeah, or like The Leprechaun's Ball. That was so much fun. I, I, I got everybody's gloves off. <laughs> yeah, not gonna lie, that was really fun. Um, okay, so do you believe as a DM that social initiative is as important as combat initiative? Yes. And why? I agree wholeheartedly because I feel like, especially because there's at least one shiny neurodivergent at the table and I will get really, really excited and jump the line without thinking, which is a symptomatic thing, not an on-purpose, I'm-a-jerk thing. Um, social initiative as part of the gameplay actually really helps me accommodate for that urge. Okay. If it's not my turn, then it's different than it's nobody's turn. Agreed. I, I mean, <laughs> I can see from that perspective. Um, yes, it's important. Um, from a immersion point of view, even. Uh, for example, somebody could walk in this house right now, whip it out, and start beating it in the kitchen where they were off camera, and all of us could see it. Whoever got to them first was whoever had the social initiative on the combat. The person <laughs> who caught the social cue first would be the one who got the surprise initiative. Yep. So having it so that that's there and rolling the out-of-combat initiative, it also helps me as a GM with making sure that nobody gets skipped because of people being talked over, side conversations happening, and I'm trying to pay attention to everything. Yep. Which I've also kind of given up on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you don't have to know it all. No, you don't have to know it all. Like, it's, it's probably a detriment if you do. Okay. Um, so the next question would be, how would you as DMs handle a player trying to seduce everything? After you, because like you said, Knox you has a much serious, more serious tone, and... You can certainly try. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but how do you handle it? Yeah. I mean, I would be like, okay, next game I'm bringing in a dragon. I'm gonna bring in a big dragon. I don't care if you're not high enough level players. Y'all will figure out to get the heck out of Dodge while this one's being flirty. Okay, you rolled high enough, you succeeded? Cool. I'm gonna need another charisma check. Okay. Uh, if you fail that one, you're the bottom. Kind of like how recently with the campaign between Bertha and... Yeah. You take... 8d12 bludgeoning damage. Between <laughs> and Antac, but Antac won the, the roll on that one, so yeah. Yeah. he's the top. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and you, how would you handle it, huh? 
Well, I've actually had player a player who wanted to absolutely seduce everything. Not at this table or in this group. Okay. And, um... See, way back in the dark ages of 3.5, Rifts, Palladium, and the Book of Vile Darkness in its first and second inceptions, there was this beautiful thing called Tables for Drugs and Sexually Transmitted Diseases, because there was also a book written for 3.5 and published, I might add, called Book of Erotic Fantasies. And in it, it gave the full list of STDs, performance-enhancing addictive substances, and every other kind of messed up thing you could think of. Well, the conversions are actually across the board for 3.5 to 4, 5.0 on that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Difficulties and all. So, it's no stress off my back to say you've got that overly horny bard who figures they can seduce their way into not having to pay for their room at the inn that night but the rest of the party couldn't really afford the nice inn and neither could the bard <coughs> so where do you guys find yourself the seedy tavern with the straw mat beds well yeah there's a few working girls here and you can absolutely seduce one that player Caught lycanthropy. <laughs> 17 days before the next full moon. Guess what the entire shift was for the campaign? <laughs> I introduce things like STDs. I introduce, well, okay, fine. You want to um, seduce everything? Fine, I'll introduce succubi. They want you to seduce them. Okay. Yep. You want to take that hard swing? We can take that hard swing. Yep. <clears throat> have you ever felt that your players have overpowered you or tried to overpower you as a DM? <laughs> oh god, yes. I was DMing this game in Bend and every other decision... I mean, I like being a good rules lawyer. Okay. I do. I, as a DM, I love it when <coughs> players say, ah, is that homebrew? <laughs> when I fly right by the mark on the structure of the game. Okay. Um, so I like me a good rules lawyer. Um, but I had this one player who every time I would bend a rule to make it a bit more playable, because I was playing 3.5, and 5e is definitely way more roleplay <laughs> conducive. Um, 3.5 required a lot of pushing and bending of rules to give room for lots of good roleplay. Um, I had this one player that just hated that and would vocally speak up every time I bent any rules. And it was definitely, like, super overpowering and it ended up being that, that I was like, hey, my table's just not compatible with your play style. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Overpowering players. <laughs> are players overpowering me? Yeah, or attempting to. I'm kind of stingy with magic items and shit, so... 
The reason for that is that I wasn't at one point, and I got a player just like me. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what I discovered? Mm. No, they don't need all that shit. They can make it the damn self. (laughs) (laughs) See, up until... I mean, if any of my old players are watching this, I love you, and DMing for you was absolutely a treat, but I have a party now... (laughs) that is way less hack and slasher style and way more think through the problem. So... I know I'm one of those players. Yeah, I had to... I'm terrible about it. I had to change my DM style because in my hack and slash games, it was... I built worlds that were immediately hostile to that kind of behavior, so they needed weapons that would keep them alive. But with players that are more methodical and think things through and aren't necessarily going to draw their weapons, those kind of weapons can be extremely OP. I'd be like, that's a lot more than you need. Uh." Ever. (laughs) At level 20, no. (laughs) Poor Hellwood. Alright, so (laughs) as DMs, do you believe a campaign should be more RP? more combat, equal parts of both, or up to your players? Party-driven. Yeah, definitely party-driven. I mean, there are some people, there are some gaming groups that you'll come across, and they really do want to be a murder hobo about it. They just want to go in, gut hit, gut swing, slash, get all their pent-up aggressions out on the gaming table. Cool with that. You're not going to want to write them into a room where they it takes them an hour and a half to figure out how to get out of it. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand, with you guys, you like that intrigue. You like that thought process. So, because you like that, I've written a lot of puzzles, traps, all kinds of crap that you have to deal with that doesn't necessarily involve you putting your sword in somebody or setting them on fire with a spell. Is that going to happen? Yeah. I it's mean, yeah. It's, it's gonna, bound to happen. But... I have to worry about where I'm hiding the bigger bads because I see all of you going through an entire cult and bypassing people, hiding as groups in it even if you could manage to figure out a way to get along away long enough to do it and going straight for the heads of it and just <laughs> demoralizing them because there's you're all are easily outnumbered a thousand to one. So, like, the probability of survival if you don't use your heads is shitty. Would I do that to a murder hobo party? Hell no. No. (laughs) They'll die in the first two hallways. Alright. So, as DMs, do you believe it is okay for, you know, not only yourselves, but other DMs to, we'll say, fudge a roll of the dice to keep from having a TPKO. My my belief on that is definitely player driven. Like some of the players at our table. If you make a decision that and Kalora included, <laughs> if you make a decision that causes the avalanche, and then you make the decision not to get out of the way the dice will say what happens. Okay. But, 
if I, as a DM, get a little too excited about a monster and it handedly whoops y'all because the dice are terrible, well, for you, <laughs> I may be like, no, that 20's a one. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so... When you do this, uh, do you do it so that way it prolongs the game, or it prolongs your storyline? Usually just to keep the game running, um, having to roll up an entire new set of characters for an entirely new party usually involves starting over. Yeah. Because you cannot continue the storyline if you don't have any of the players, or any of the characters the players have made. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like playing No Man's Sky on, um... Permadeath mode, it deletes your save. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, yes, I fudge rolls. I have some solid rules on that. If, like Anaya was saying, my party was doing a bunch of stupid and gets themselves killed, oh no, I'm not going to fudge roll there. If they're, like, really shocked that, or like that one <laughs> monster, salamander. that salamander that mauled you guys. You mean the one that was in the uh, the city? Yeah. Um, I was not expecting it to hit like that freight train. Yeah. And afterwards I felt bad because enough people were left standing that I should have let the dice lie because you had the health potions to do it. Yeah. But I was shocked that it hit that hard. I was rolling high that night. I had been rolling low for weeks. Yeah. Yep. Broke my streak all over your faces. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, the that's one of the reasons. Like in those cases, yeah, I'll lower I'll lower monster stats first. I'll nerf a monster before I lie about it. Okay. And that's all I did to that thing was I nerfed it. I didn't fucking tear it apart, or I didn't like lie about any of its rolls. Other than I have that damage roll because that was ridiculous. Um, But there have been moments where somebody's trying something really um, off the wall that is going to be really, really fucking cool. And it's got a contested roll. And it drives the story for the player as well as the story for the group at that point. If it doesn't hit both stories in a progress way, some people's gonna die. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, but the player's individual stories, because Wisp has his own story on how things are going to go and how things have gone. Kalura has a completely different view. Um... I promise Ronan also has a completely different view. I wonder if he realizes that he's still cursed yet. <laughs> um, well, I mean, to be fair, um, granted it's off current topic, but as far as it comes to some of the players, I know as some of the players in both of the campaigns, um, because they want to create a new, a new character, they're more careless about their current character. Yeah, like, I am actively, and I'm sorry for Kalora stands, um, I am actively trying to kill Kalora. Yeah. Um, I love her, and I think she's wonderful, 
And it has been really fun playing my big dumb bird with the only magic that poor bird has is the ability to get a little wind to her feathers. Um, she's been fun, but she was not built for Knox. She was built for John, but not quite for Knox Vitalia. Um, and now that I have a better understanding of the world and the kinds of cultures and people that play in it, that you know come into play. Um, I have a character now built for when and if I succeed, but I'm also not the player to be like, my oh, my bird's just going to be dumb. Kalora rolled badly on the intelligence check to shut the door on me. So. Yeah. I, I rolled to see if I was going to shut the door behind me. And rolled badly and went, you know what? Fine. You know what? She's a big dumb bird. She's mad at her party right now. Fine. <laughs> Didn't think. Locked herself in a cell. Yeah. Not my problem. Sure as hell is yours. But she clearly is capable of fighting her way out of it. She's not going to lay down and die. For sure. No, but there's like six guards there. Yeah, you know, there's five now. I put that one in the river. Oh, wait, no, there's more than that. There's a lot more than that dead because they wiped everything. You're just still stuck in that cell. Yep. And you got some explaining to do about your actions <laughs> and what you were saying to those guards. Because <laughs> your whole party heard you saying all that shit to those I'm going to walk out of that cell. And if, if I make it out of the cell, I'm going to walk out of the cell and be like, we never speak of this again. Okay, back to the topic again. <laughs> um, we're getting way off of the way off the current topic. I mean, I enjoy hearing it, but way off the topic. All right, so... Next question is, uh, what do you feel is the most important characteristic of a player, and why? Um, creativity. Yeah. I'll be dead honest. You can... You can give a creative player an absolute shit set of roles for stats. And they will figure out a way to make that dude the bomb and a hero. <laughs> They'll find a story and everything for that dude. Right. But if they're not creative, you're going to get bored as a GM. As a game master, as a dungeon master, you're going to get bored <clears throat> if your players aren't creative. And if you're bored, I promise you they're going to be bored soon. Yeah. And if they're not bored soon, then you're trapped. Doing all of the creative work. Forever and ever and ever. Only to have it be like, oh, I made all these awesome people for you to talk to and learn things about what's going on. And you walked into town and you gutted everyone and took their shit. Well... Congratulations. Now people who outranked them are aware of you. Have fun. Keep in mind, you still do have a player-driven story, but instead of being a player-driven story full of drama, intrigue, thrills, a little bit of laughter, and all the things that make a great novel a great novel, what you end up with is a story of a bunch of people who walk into a town, slaughtered it, and are now on the run from every government they come across because they keep killing people. Yep. 
And you can only watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so many times before you know that Leatherface has to die. Yeah. Alright. Uh, what do you feel... Oh, wow. What do you feel is your hardest task when becoming a DM? When you sit down to create a campaign, if you're not working from a module or something, like, you are sitting down to a blank canvas. And I think the hardest part for me when I first when I first became a DM was remembering to paint in blank spaces for the players. Um, not to do all of the world building and present them with this perfectly textured palette of world is complete and ready and perfect and don't touch it. Because your players also sat down to a canvas to create a character. Mm-hmm. And you need to leave enough room for their character to have an impact and a reason to exist in your world. For me, it was not making my world scuzzy enough. Okay, what do you mean by scuzzy? Okay, like, take Earth. Earth. This is one sleazy ass, corrupt, scuzzball dirt dirt wad of a planet. Yep. Fact of the matter is, there are everyday heroes everywhere. There are people who out, go out trying to do good or bad, where or good where they can. There are people who go out trying to do bad where they can, all by their own personal perspectives. Okay. A lawful evil person is still thinking that they're doing the right thing, even though their evil is all sin. Batman. Um, but... <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Sorry, babe. <laughs> but not sorry. It's the truth. He's a vigilante. He goes out and he kills people for, for the right reasons, but that doesn't mean that it's right. He's still killing people. Right. He's just got the money to not get caught. Um, but all the Batman crap aside, yeah, like, my world needed to be scuzzy. It needed to have something wrong with it on so many different facets that the players themselves, because I do write the whole world perfectly imperfect. There's slavery, there's child abduction, (laughs) there's black markets, there's there's organ theft. There There are necromancers who will buy your one kidney off of you so that they can use it in an experiment making a flesh golem. And you might live through the kidney removal. And they'll pay you. These things all exist, but... That necromancer moving to a small, poor town. And taking that poverty and offering people a platinum for their kid's kidney. Well, that's pretty fucking evil. And my party coming across something like people selling their children's organs to this dude in order to sustain their well-being and afford markets and crap? Well, I see some people standing up. If your world isn't dirty enough, corrupt enough, dark enough, doesn't have enough wrong with it, your players are gonna feel like there's no point. Yeah. 
If you live in a utopia, there's no reason to be a hero. Okay. So, does it affect you as a DM when your players give up, and why? And I don't just mean give up in the game, but also give up in general, as as being part of the party. I mean, yeah, because there's always a little bit of disappointment, and I'd like to do, like, an exit interview when a player gives up on a campaign or a table altogether. Just to be like, hey, were there things as a DM that, you know, I had a role in you deciding to quit, or what could I have improved? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, I, ha- I-, I will admit, early in my DM time, God, 14 years ago, um... I bulldogged a couple players right out of my table. But I was 16 and a bulldog. (laughs) And one of the things I had to learn was that it wasn't me versus my players. Yeah. It's really not. Yeah. It's your monsters versus the players. (laughs) That dragon might eat. I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah, but with everything Kalora's been through, she couldn't not. I know. <laughs> there was no timeline where she didn't go through the portal. I know. <laughs> Most of them she went alone, huh? No. Actually, most of the timelines, at least Wisp followed her through. Aw. Yay. Well, that particular character's backstory and everything that I know about, it doesn't matter whether he loves you or not. He's not going to let you go face certain death alone because he wouldn't want to. (laughs) Isn't that sweet? No. The next question I have, and this is the last question I have written down, um, is there an order or process you go through to create campaigns? And if so, do you have any tips for our listeners to make life a little easier? I start with, honestly, Aylwood started with a painting I saw <laughs> at a museum of a big black dragon rolling in some grass with a little kid. Okay. Like, that was my, I want that. And I started working from there. Um, but, where did my brain go? Um, <laughs> but for me now, campaign building is listening to things like this last episode of Foodies in Space, heard you and Thomas saying, I can't wait till somebody acts a fool. Which is a good cue to the DM that Pudgy getting all the combat was a little boring. And was able to go, and you hear a blade unsheath. Alright, I can run two initiatives. (laughs) And that was fun. It was. And by the end of it, it was still back down to it just being Antac and that dude and oh yep Um, that was a gloriously brutal (laughs) way to finish somebody off a lot of my world building now 
for my active campaigns at the very least is the feedback that I get from my players. Um, like I could have taken Foodies in Space in a really serious dark direction. There is in in this universe these planets are scuzzy. There's plenty to do. I mean, when our two players left recently, I gave you a mystery to chase. And there was all sorts of involved in that. And, uh, but you guys decided to commandeer the ship and go into outer space. Yar. Which is fun and great. So my world building creates avenues now for... Oh, nope, we don't go down that hallway where I put all of the stuff. I'm gonna have to take a trebuchet and send the stuff that way. <laughs> for me, world building's weird. I start with an idea for a world. Like, Nox Vitalia started as the idea, what if on a planar level, a poor a portion of the material plane, the Fey realm and the sh- and the shadow realm collided, and a planet was born at the nexus. <clears throat> well, what would that look like? What would bleed through? I had that idea. Then I thought, okay, we're going to build civilizations on it. Then we're going to make those civilizations greedy and let them blow it all up. Then. I'm going to let players play in the post-cataclysm of it. Yep. The fact is that I created the whole thing as far as the world itself, how the mechanics, the, all that works. I didn't necessarily create stories until session zero. <coughs> until I talked to the players about... Sorry. You're good. Yeah, like, until I talked to the players about what happened in the background... Was a little much. It happens. I don't want to write anything because getting back to the second part of what you asked, um, the campaigns that I write are more of a I write the world and let the players go explore it. There is enough wrong with this world that trust me, they, you could definitely find something to get into, even if it's just making sure you can eat. Um. On the same breath, though, I can honestly say that you could totally have gone and all decided you were going to open up a restaurant in the middle of the first town, ta- in the middle of the town, and nothing would have happened. But because of things that players wanted to do, I adjusted the story accordingly. So yeah, when a player leaves a table indefinitely, it does hurt my story briefly. I've been playing these games for it'll be 30 years next month since I was 12 yeah so I'm used to having somebody leave a party or leave a table at this point it's always sad to see them go because of all the stories that they could have told and how that will affect the shape of the story yet to come and they are always sorely missed. I mean, they're an extra voice. They're a hero, at least in that world, in their own eyes. We were supposed to be here. This is one of my favorite quotes. Exactly. Because you were. And you all decided that you were going to commit war crimes instead. 
<laughs> and the war crimes are fun too. <laughs> Everything that crossed my mind when you said that is not right for adult hearing. <laughs> so, so you as DMs, would you say that it is easier to do a homebrew version, or do you feel it would be easier for new DMs to start with the books and go through the basics, like basic mods, and create their stories that way? There was no such thing as a module when I started playing. I started way back in the dark ages of AD&D. There were no modules. There were no sample adventures. There were just ideas of how things could be laid out and have fun figuring it out for yourself. So, like... That's really complicated for me. It depends on the person. I mean, I definitely say you should watch some D&D live streams. Ours included, just because, well, I'm biased there. Yeah. And, um... If you were to suggest a second stream, what would you suggest? I'm... It's a toss-up between Dimension 20 and Critical Role. Okay. Mainly because both are more story-driven and really do show the mechanics properly. And both of them aren't the kind of things where when they're live, they have people donating for things to happen to the party or people to get benefits in the boons. Yeah. I'm okay. not pro, like, an audience generating what happens to the players. That's all on you. Yeah. If, like, say somebody wants me to have you all face a black dragon and they're willing to drop $500 into a donation bin for us. Oh, yeah, that'd be great for Buy the Dice as a channel. Yeah. But that's... If I threw an ancient black dragon at you all right now, you would be melted puddles of glop on the ground. Yeah. And there goes all that story, that planning, and ever miss gets eaten by a giant frost dragon. <laughs> and ever miss gets eaten by a giant frost dragon. See, non-conducive and totally fucks up my world. If I write something and it causes the world to go kaboom because of something you guys do, great. If you all do something that I wasn't expecting, which will happen at least once a session. At least. <laughs> and it makes something go boom. Then that's fine. Somebody else pays me off to go boom. That's not cool. Somebody who's not a part of the game... Like, I talk, I try to hear you guys on stuff you want to see. Yeah. And you know that. You talk to me about, I've always wanted to do this or all that. And Anaya's done the same thing. And that's great. But if it's somebody outside of your direct game table saying, I want this to happen, unless they're going to come sit at that table and play a character that's going to have that happen to them after they're attached to it. I don't want them playing it. No. Though I will say Justice from Meridian was one of my favorite moments in chat. Yeah. Soak the cat! <laughs> yeah, at the same time, there was a consensus among the people that that kind of was... It. We all saw it coming as a viable. 
Uh, well, I don't have any down, written down, but I went ahead and the last one I, I just kind of like, you know, threw out there. Um, let's see. Let me think. Nobody appear, appears to be putting any, any questions in, in the chat, because I've been checking periodically. Um, yeah. We may have to do this a few times before we get much more viewership on this particular live stream. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Uh, so, I guess another question I would have for you guys would be, um, me as a player, I'm curious as to what would be easier for you as DMs, you and specifically not, you know, DMs in general, but you guys and specifically, would you rather have... Uh, characters in the game that are intelligent or would you rather have characters in the game that are incredibly stupid and what kind of impacts do you think it would bring to your campaign to have a incredibly dumb or an incredibly smart character like think it would be a good impact or a bad impact that's a that's kind of a neutral point for me because like having played Kalora and I do play her a bit below her intelligence stat um, just because I, I, I really do just love the concept of being dumber. Only two brain cells, and she often forgets to rub them together. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get along. Um, I can see the benefit that even really stupid characters can have. I mean, since we've referenced Critical Role, look at Grog! That's, that's <laughs> so, so Grog is actually the reasoning for my question. Because, I, personally, I see Grog as being a badass character. You know, you big dumb barbarian, cool as fuck, you know, walk up, oh, hi there, dork! And it just adds entertainment. So I wanted to know from your guys' perspective what you feel it would basically bring into the game. Do you feel that it's good to have an occasional dumb character? Or if it's good to have, you know, all intelligent characters. Or if it doesn't really, you know, make a difference. If it's good, if it's bad. The story changes. Um, if you've got a bunch of intelligent people doing something, they're going to handle it intelligently. If they all have a high wisdom, and, and all but one of them has a high intelligence, and he's got a low one, what you end up with is that dumb guy is going to completely change the story. Because while he might have the street smarts because of his wisdom to not piss <clears throat> off the local underboss, might not have the intelligence to know who that is. Yeah. Well, I also ask because a lot of the characters that I've played in the campaigns, not just your campaigns, but in general, um, even with the other DMs that we had in the past, some of my characters, mainly my one-shot characters, I've had a one-shot character that was super intelligent, and then I've also had the one-shot character who was beyond childish. Fish Tank. Gotta love him. He's a superhero! We stand Fish Tank. Right? Right? <laughs> 
but I figured that you know that that would give me a good question to ask you know DMs how how it affects the game is it you know a good impact a bad impact what are some tips that you would give to new inspiring DMs as to how to handle that type of situation know your players if you've got a player who doesn't know how to play to that intelligence in a way that is not going to be disruptive, a dumb character is terrible for your campaign. Yep. If you have a character or a player who can play dumb without screwing up the story for everybody else by being a disruption, i.e. somebody who's able to play like a grog. Okay. Yeah. So would you say that, that you as a DM, you would modify your storyline to adjust to that character or do you would you continue your oh no you guys would still have a moron running with you right now in that dragon's lair if that were the Uh, case like if they had an actual intelligence of six and they were in there with you they would still be in there with you and they would be expected to play out based on their intelligence yep like I played more closer to a seven that just makes me think of that skeleton <laughs> I, I play Kalora at about a seven instead of a nine in intelligence. Exactly. Um, but she gets these moments of brilliance, which actually balances it out to average. Um, but yeah, it's not disruptive to the game if the player doesn't overdo it. That's okay. like having that overly—you could do it the other direction and have an overly intelligent character. And have the same problem arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super intelligent characters can be super disruptive. Because they... Would I? Would I? Would I? It's, you know, sort of like that kid with their hand up all the time in class. Not learning anything because they're explaining everything to the teacher? Don't remind me. Same. <laughs> but yeah, we've. I'm like Kalorn is my first low intelligence character. Uh, I play Redemption Paladins by a habit, bad habit, and they're usually fairly smart, uh, fairly devoted and generally good people. I built Kalora to be something my redemption paladins would look at and go, <laughs> Never mind, not everything is redeemable. Yeah. Okay. I wanted her to be dumb. I wanted her to be a bit impulsive, but she's got a motivation between everything she does, and I give her moments where those two brain cells decide they're going to work together and there's a flash of brilliance. Maybe creating a Dutch oven for the Wait for it. school was a bit much. But and wait for it. If they kill off Larice, it will be dumb. <laughs> it will be all of a foot and a half tall. <laughs> it will have wings. And it will know kung fu. 
<laughs> Don't kill Larice. I've already got the build on how to make a firefly fly from hell out of a fairy. <laughs> well, at least we've got another person to continue her research if she dies. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, like, dumb characters don't really affect it unless the player plays to stupid to fall. Yeah. You have to know your players. If they're just going to play it up and ham it up because they want to do the dumbest possible things that they could do and disrupt the whole game, I wouldn't allow that player to set foot on that table with that cave or that character at my table. Because I could see what was going on. It's like, man, I really would, I need you to have a higher intelligence score and I justify it with just yep. I wouldn't let anybody have below that score without a real solid roleplay reason. Yeah, I mean, like, Kalora is now the queen of, I hit it with my head. But in the scene near, by the statue, she had full cover. <clears throat> yeah. It was the rogue. Like you said, that whole purposely trying to off characters thing earlier. I personally don't believe it purposely trying to off my characters. I'll stop trying to keep them alive and I'll let them play out to the situation. And if it's <coughs> them or another player, or another PC at the table, um, they're going to die. But I have so many ideas for characters. Alright, well, I'm going to use the restroom. Um, Honestly, I'd say we could probably wrap this up. It's almost five o'clock. Yeah. We've got no questions in the chat. Um, we will see you guys next Thursday. We're going to keep this up as a Thursdays thing because, well, why not? Right. So it's so next Thursday. Is this going to be another like basic hour session, or that depends on it, audience involvement. Okay. Yep. Well, the reason why I asked is because, like I said, you know, uh, because this was kind of like a, a spur of the moment kind of thing, and, you know, I kind of decided that, you know, I was going to see if I could be your interviewer, so that way it made it more intriguing. Um, it gives me a chance to come up with more questions. Yeah, well, I think we will, we will definitely keep the interview model. Okay. Because I think this was really good, and you really helped with just driving the conversation. Yeah, well, I also keeping think us that, on track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also yeah. think that you know, the, like I like I was saying before, I also think that the, you know, I, I basically need to come up with some more questions. Um, and since it's a week from now, it gives me plenty of time to come and up something with something to think about when you're bored. Things that you've been wanting to ask the DMs but don't want to feel dumb about. Oh, I, I would never feel dumb about asking you guys anything. You guys in specifically, I don't know about other DMs, but I'm not going to feel stupid asking anybody. I actually really appreciate yeah, I was, that I was a lot. Say, I would hope that we've set a culture, at least at By the Dice, where there are no stupid questions. Uh, the, sure mean, there are, the ones that you don't ask. Yeah, I have to agree. Unasked questions are stupid. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask nothing, won't learn nothing. So since you guys know how to work the uh, 
Hit the transition button or the, the mouse is on just click it. Transition or turn off broadcast? Stop streaming. Yeah, just okay. go ahead and hit stop streaming. It'll be okay. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Sunday. Yep. More Nox Vitalia and let's see if they die this week. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.